This is the big question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Benton, Caleb F., Rosemary, Stephen, and Emerson. First we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. We'll get started with a few serious questions. Our first question comes from Benton, who asks, Why did the Romans let the believers of Jesus have paper and writing utensils in prison? Because it was obvious that they would write about God. Well, Benton, this is an insightful question, and you're absolutely right. The apostles wrote some of their letters while they were being held prisoner by the Romans. Now, you would think if the Romans were worried enough about Jesus' followers to throw them in prison, then why let them write letters to the churches at all? Now, the funny thing is, the Romans did more than let them write. In the book of Acts, as you read the account of the Apostle Paul, for example, you see that Paul's Roman jailers allowed him to write. They allowed him to have visitors They watched over him, and sometimes they even rescued him when his life was in danger. How do we explain this odd behavior? Well, there are a couple of reasons. First, the Romans don't always seem to have realized the significance of what those early believers were teaching. The Romans knew that something was happening in the culture, but they weren't always clued in about the various uh, controversies, as they saw it, between uh, the different Jewish factions. Sometimes the charges that were lobbed by the opponents of the apostles were serious enough that the authorities would take action, but it seems like the centurions and the jailers and the procurators They were usually just doing the bare minimum to appease the angry mob. So it makes sense in those cases that they weren't too concerned about their prisoners writing letters. They had bigger problems to worry about. Secondly, in the book of Acts, we also learned that as the captive believers shared the gospel, more and more of their Roman captors believed what they were hearing and they had faith in Jesus. So at least some of those authorities were sympathetic to the apostles. They didn't want to stop them from communicating. In fact, they wanted to hear what they had to say. Ultimately, of course, it was the Holy Spirit working out God's plan through these circumstances. These writings were how the gospel was going to be revealed and handed down. And so God worked it out so that they would be written. And now Caleb F. asks, Why did the Apostle John call himself the beloved disciple? Why not just refer to himself as John? Well, in the Gospel according to John, it's true. Uh, The Apostle John is referred to uh, at least six times, but he doesn't refer to himself by name. Instead of using his name, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved or the disciple beloved of Jesus. That sounds kind of funny to modern ears. I mean, didn't Jesus love all the disciples? Isn't John kind of making himself sound extra special, like elevating himself above the others by saying that he's the beloved disciple? 
Well, when you read the Bible, you find that John did have a special closeness to Jesus. Remember, it was John who was present at the crucifixion. Jesus entrusted John with the care of Mary, his mother. There are a lot of theories by scholars about exactly why John refers to himself with this formula of words instead of just using his name. Some people even think that he was intentionally concealing his identity. But personally, I think the explanation is simple modesty. When John is a character in the narrative that he's writing, he doesn't refer to himself by name out of humility. Now, in support of this, remember that John also refers to himself a couple of times as just the other disciple. It's as if he doesn't want to draw extra attention to himself at all. He just wants to find a way to redirect our attention, uh, to redirect it in some cases to Jesus. So instead of deriving his identity from his name, he shows us that what makes him who he is, is the love of Jesus. And now it's time for the big question, which comes this time from Rosemary. So let's give Rosemary a round of applause. This is actually Rosemary's first question, and it has to do with dinosaurs. Rosemary asks, I've heard that dinosaurs were extinct before there were any humans, but doesn't that contradict the Bible? All the way back in episode 12 of The Big Question, Sam M. asked a question about dinosaurs. You can go back to episode 12 if you want to listen in on that answer. But this is episode 50, and Rosemary's question is a little bit different. Now, let me start by laying a little groundwork, because the way we think about this question is going to be helpful for approaching a lot of big questions. Now, some things are mysteries because, as human beings, we just can't understand them. But other things are mysterious because we simply don't have enough information to connect all the dots. And this mystery is one of the second kind. Now, people come up with different theories, and we're not always good at drawing a clear distinction between what we really know and what we're just speculating about or theorizing about. And when it comes to prehistory, and certainly dinosaurs fit in that category, both of these problems are evident. First, we don't have all the data. So at best, we're forced to speculate about how all the different pieces fit together. And secondly, we tend to treat our theories and our reconstructions as if they're a lot more certain than they really are. Now, the Bible's account of creation is true and accurate. Yet, it's also very brief, and it doesn't answer all of our questions. For example, it doesn't reference dinosaurs at all. Now, the fact is, the Bible's account of creation wasn't intended to answer all of our questions. Instead, it has a certain point, and that point is to explain that God made everything, and that he gave everything a particular structure and direction that we can see in creation. So we know that God is the creator of everything. 
that nothing exists that he didn't create, and that if you subtract the effects of sin, the creation reveals things about the character of God. So, by studying the world, we've also learned a lot about how the world works. But there's a lot that we don't know. We're constantly discovering new things about how the world works, and we're having to revise our earlier theories. Dinosaurs are actually a great example of this. Since a lot of our knowledge of dinosaurs is theoretical, based on the way that we've reconstructed the bones and interpreted the fossils, our understanding has changed a lot over the last hundred years or so. We used to think of dinosaurs as giant reptiles, and now we think that they had a lot more in common with birds. If you had a time machine and you could go back and see dinosaurs for yourself, you might actually discover that we still got a lot of things wrong in our theories about the dinosaurs. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us anything specifically about dinosaurs. There are some arguments that there are references to dinosaurs that are kind of oblique, but that's pretty speculative. Generally speaking, we know that if they existed, God had to create them, but that's an inference. It's not something the Bible says on this day God created the dinosaurs. Uh, People who study dinosaurs will often tell you that they existed long before humans did. And yet, the Bible says that everything was created more or less at the same time. So how do we fit dinosaurs into the timeline of the Bible? And the answer is not easy. If the current theories about dinosaurs are right, there is just not an easy way to slip them into the biblical chronology. Now, some Christians argue that that means that our current understanding of dinosaurs is clearly wrong. If we knew more or we interpreted the data that we have better, then the fit would be more obvious. And they hope that someday we'll get there. Now, that's actually happened before. There were people and kingdoms mentioned in the Bible that historians used to say didn't really exist. And then archaeologists found evidence for them, and those theories had to be updated. If you're interested in knowing more about that, uh, look up the history of the Hittites. Now, some people think that our theories about dinosaurs are so certain that they cancel out the Bible's version of creation. And other people think that if our theories about dinosaurs uh, can't be made to fit neatly into the Bible's chronology yet, then that cancels out the dinosaurs. But I suspect that this is one of those questions that we just can't answer yet. We don't have all the data that we need, but we might get it in time. We might learn enough to be able to answer this question better than we can right now. For now, I think it's best to read and interpret the Bible just as it's written, even when you can't see how that connects with what we know or what we think we know in other areas. When you think about it, human knowledge is like a jigsaw puzzle that's not even halfway put together. Now, if you're working a puzzle and you're missing some of the pieces, you don't want to try and force the ones that you have to fit together because that's not going to complete the puzzle accurately. Instead, you've got to be patient. You've got to wait for more pieces to come. Now, when it comes to dinosaurs in the Bible, I am confident that all the pieces fit together. 
but we may not have all the pieces that we need yet, and that's okay. We don't have to try to force what we have to fit together. We can actually wait confidently until we have all the pieces we need to see how all the information goes together. And before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. We have questions this time from Stephen and Emerson. First, Stephen asks, do you like Star Wars and who is your favorite character? Stephen, actually, I do like Star Wars. In fact, I saw the very first Star Wars movie when it first came out in the theaters way back in the 1970s. As a boy, I actually had quite a collection of Star Wars action figures and a giant suitcase in the shape of Darth Vader's head to carry them all around in. I also had a toy Death Star, an X-Wing fighter, and a lot of uh, collectible toys, or at least they would be collectible now if I still had them, but unfortunately, all of that is gone. I did find one of my old action figures in a box of things that my parents had kept, and so I have him on my desk right now as... We're talking, uh, he's a Tusken Raider, also known as a Sandman. But my favorite character from Star Wars is, is not a Sandman. In fact, my favorite character is the one that all of the Sandmen were afraid of. That's right, it's Ben Kenobi. I love Ben Kenobi in the original Star Wars movie. I like him because the actor who played him, Alec Guinness, is one of my favorites. I, I like everything that he was in. In fact, he played one of my all-time favorite characters, the British spy, George Smiley, in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And now Emerson asks, what is your favorite animal? Well, Emerson, you've actually met my favorite animal. It's my new cat, Tilda. We recently got a cat at the beginning of December, and she is now my favorite animal, officially. She's the animal who lives in our house and prances around in front of the windows. She has silky cream-colored fur and bright blue eyes, and she purrs so loudly that you can hear her pretty much from across the room. But I have to be honest, I don't like everything about Tilda, Sometimes she looks at me in this funny way and then suddenly pounces on my hand or foot and tries to bite me. She goes from being cute one second to being a wild predator the next, and I do not like that. But other than the fact that she's sometimes trying to attack me and eat me, Tilda is my new favorite animal. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. Never be afraid to ask, and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking the big questions.